0: Romans chapter 1 and verses 1 to 17. So if you're not already there in your Bibles, please turn to the first chapter of the Apostle Paul's epistle to the Romans. And we're going to look together to roughly the first half of this chapter. I'd like to begin with the seventh verse. If you look down at the seventh verse, I'm going to read that to you initially. For in his introduction, he also includes those that he's writing to. And he says, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you, as usual greeting or salutation, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, my dear friends, what I find in these first 17 verses of this great epistle of the Apostle Paul, this epistle to the Romans, but if find the Apostle Paul here, he's meant to do so by the Holy Spirit, writing to these Romans, these Roman believers and those in the church in Rome at that time, about Romans. He says, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What do I mean by Romans here? Well, first of all, I don't mean speaking this evening, giving a Bible study about all the citizens of the Roman Empire that were alive at that time the Apostle Paul writing this epistle uh, to these believers and saints that were in the city of Rome, capital at that time of the Roman Empire and I don't even mean the Roman Christian believers themselves the brethren or saints to whom he wrote this letter who he mentions in that 7th verse but I am referring to his actual epistle or letter that he wrote to them under the inspiration of God the Holy Spirit. So what we have here, what we have in his other epistles, what we have in the other, in the Gospels of the New Testament, and the books of the New Testament, and all the books of the Old Testament as well, we have the Word of God, we have the infallible, inerrant and inspired Word of God. Before us. So I want us to look this evening at these first verses in Romans 1 from the standpoint, from the perspective of the epistle itself. Romans says in verse 15, So as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that at Rome also. Of course, because he's writing to them, this is what this epistle is called. Now, the question for you and me this evening is this, and it's a very simple one, it's a very practical one. What has Romans to teach us tonight? What's, what does Romans have to teach you? What is it that you can learn from these things? We can't look at the, the whole of the epistle. But we can look at the first part of this chapter and ask ourselves what it has to teach us. Well, let us see right now. I'd like to divide these verses up into three main headings if you're taking notes tonight. The first is this: I want us to look at the, the author. Or the human author, the human writer of this epistle, in verses 1, 5, and 9 to 15. And then I want us to think about its recipients, its readers, in verses 6 to 8. And in thirdly and finally, I want us to consider the reach of Romans. We can't look at the whole of the epistle, but we can think about what this epistle is all about. And that in the light of verses 1 to 4 and verses 15 to 17. So let's look initially for our first main heading, verses 1, 5, 9 to 15, about the writer, because we have to qualify that, the human author, the human writer of Romans. We're not thinking now about God himself. He is the ultimate author of this epistle and all of his book, the book of books. He is the God of his word, and his spirit inspired all of these things, all God breathed from him, all it's scripturated. But I'm thinking about the human author here, of Romans. And right in verse 1, we have Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God. And there are four things here I'd like you to notice about the writer of this epistle. The first is this, in the writer verses 1 and 5, what we notice is that it was written by a servant, by a humble servant of God a humble servant of the Lord Jesus Christ and isn't it wonderful how he puts this right first? Paul is humble enough although he was an apostle, a great apostle and a great man, a great genius in many ways and greatly gifted. the first thing that he mentions to them is that he's a servant. In the first verse he writes to them that he was a servant of Jesus Christ. in one sense it sounds so humble. In other sense, it is so elevated. He was a servant, he was a bondslave, ah, but he was a bondslave of the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, the supreme, the transcendent Son of God, who had bought him with his precious blood, and therefore Paul was his. The sense that the Lord Jesus Christ was Paul's, but also that Paul was the Lord Jesus Christ, not only through creation, but through redemption bought by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and so therefore he was his. Christ had bought him with the ransom price of his blood. And so Paul was his body and soul. Later in verse 5, he wrote to them that he had received grace. In other words, he wrote to them as a man who was completely at the service of, the bond slave of, the anointed saviour, anointed by the Holy Ghost, the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, or the Holy Trinity, the eternal Son of God. He was somebody who was at His service. Brother was mentioned in that verse from in his prayer in Romans chapter 12, about our reasonable service. Well, we offer our reasonable service to God because we are His servants, and the servants of the Father and the Lord. So Paul here uh, we find that he was uh, a man who had received undeserved, unearned or unmerited favour, kindness and love from God, and a man who had the life of God in his soul. It's a famous book once by Henry Schuyl, The Life of God in the Soul of Man, and Paul had received this life into his soul, and thus he was a serpent of Jesus Christ. Somewhere in the city of Corinth in 1857, he began to write this epistle to them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and has been providentially preserved to us today. And it contains what the early first century Christian church and saints believed, the gospel they believed, and what good news they had, which turned the world upside down. If only we were servants like the Apostle Paul these days, perhaps we ourselves, but also. Be turning the world upside down. So it's written by a servant, a servant of God, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, a servant of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Secondly, we notice it's also written by an apostle, verses 1 and 5. Paul was the last of the apostles. It's a famous novel many years ago, the last of the Mohicans. The apostle Paul was the last. Of something far more special. He was the last of the apostles, one born out of due season. That is, after all of the others, Peter, James, John, etc. Paul had been he had the he had the criteria to be an apostle. He had been an eyewitness of the truth of the resurrection of the dead of the Lord Jesus Christ. And also, therefore, he knew that the Lord Jesus Christ had ascended back to glory. From whence he was going to come to judge the living and the dead. Paul had been called, charged or commissioned by Christ, amongst other things, to be his specially appointed preacher and teacher and interpreter of spiritual things, sent forth by him to preach the gospel to first and also to Gentile and also by God's power to work special miracles. He was an apostle. There are many apostles today. But the apostle Paul was an apostle in the first sense of the term and he along with the other apostles laid the doctrinal foundation of the New Testament Christian church, it's built on Christ, yes, it's built on his teachings and it's built on the doctrines of his apostles, so Paul's authority was unique and he's putting this out right at the very beginning of this epistle he's stamping this epistle, one that is apostolic it's inspired, it's of God. It has authority, the authority of God behind it. He wrote with the same authority as the Lord Jesus Christ, of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. His inspired written words were to be received in exactly the same way as the Lord Jesus Christ's spoken words. And so therefore we must never say, oh, you know, these epistles or these letters, these gospels were just the works of men. They were in a sense, they were received by men, but they were given by God. And so therefore they have divine authority for teaching and for practice in the life of the church, your local church, and in your life as well. So Romans wasn't just an interesting letter from an early Christian believer. It had had full apostolic authority and the authority of God. You read this, my dear friends, it's the word of God. And binding upon the Christian church, binding upon the Christian, it is the word of God. So it's written by an apostle. Thirdly, it was also written by a preacher. In verse 1 he says that he had been separated under the gospel of God. And then again in verse 5 he wrote to them that he had been called, charged or commissioned to be instrumental under God in bringing people from all the different nations of the world into obedience to the Christian faith. Those that heard these epistles, those that he met with on his missionary journeys, those that he testified to personally, those that he preached the gospel to, he was seeking to bring them into the obedience of faith. To bring them through the preaching of the word to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Later in verse 9 he wrote to them that he served God with the spirit in the gospel of his son. And in verses 14 and 15, he writes to them that he regarded the preaching of the gospel to sinners as something incumbent upon him. Indeed, he could say woe to him if he didn't preach this gospel. He was a preacher. A preacher wrote this epistle. You know, it wasn't some kind of uh, kind of dry and dusty academical theologian, but it was somebody who was right out there, somebody who was amongst the people, somebody who was active, somebody who was a pastor, somebody who was a preacher, and that brings it brings it home to us. We should want to it more because of that. The whole reason for his existence was the gospel, and so he was completely committed and consecrated to it and to God and to the truth totally consecrated. My dear friends, that's something that's missing today. We were talking a bit earlier why people have still somehow uh, have uh, justified Bible reasons uh, for joining online services at home but many don't. It's one of the reasons why they're not coming to the meet of grace. One of the reasons is this my dear friends is because commitment is at a great premium these days. But you and I are to be committed, just like the Apostle Paul. Committed to the Lord, and committed to His Word, committed to the means of grace, committed to the local church, committed to our brothers and sisters in Christ. If you don't turn out, my dear friends, it discourages everybody else. If you come out, it encourages and it strengthens the hands and hearts of everybody else. So Paul had to preach this like a man who had to pay his debts. My dear friends, if ever my dear friends, if ever you preach the gospel, whether you testify you have an evangelist opportunity shortly, and there's the testimony of the Protestant alliance and the mid Devon show. My dear friends, we need to testify the grace of God and to preach the gospel as those that have a debt to pay. We owe great debt to God, do not we? And a debt to his grace and a debt to
1: his gospel.
0: Paul felt here to preach it every kind of person and was eager to preach it at Rome also. This was a letter from a minister, a missionary, a pastor, and a spiritual soldier who had been through hunger, loss, prison, riot, shipwreck, slander, etc., etc. This was born out of his own experience. And so therefore, it is alive, it's animated, my dear friends. It's exciting to read these things. It had worked in Paul's life, worked in their lives as well, the Romans. And I trust it's worked in your life as well. A letter from a man who was all while preaching the gospel, and a man who could not be held back. The gospel that he preached, upon which the New Testament Christian churches were founded, was the gospel that he wrote to the Romans about in this letter. He was a preacher. And finally, in 1913, it was written by a pastor. And indeed, a pastor of pastors, by like Timothy and Titus, etc., he prayed to God for the Christian believers of Rome in a pastoral manner, with a pastor's heart. His particular prayer to him for them, to God for them, was that God would open the way for him to go and visit them. He was interested in these people. He loved these people. He wanted to go see these people. He wanted to be with them and, and teach them there and pray with them and encourage them. He was a pastor. He'd gone to be a blessing to them and for them... To make the blessing mutual by being equally a blessing to him by their fellowship. The difference is not just pastors and elders and deacons, the officers of the church, that we are to be a blessing to members and visitors and friends. Members, visitors, and friends are to equally to be a mutual blessing to the officers of the church. It is to be mutual. Be a mutual blessing. Don't just be blessed. Be a blessing. To others, like the Apostle Paul sought from the Romans here, although he never met most of them, his love for them was still great, most of them were completely unknown to him. Yet he had some sense of fellowship with them. It was his desire to give them some spiritual good which motivated them to write this epistle to them. He couldn't yet go to them, so he does the best thing that he can do. He writes the gospel to them. So the Apostle, all, he was all these things, he was the human author and writer of this epistle. Just like in many of these epistles, it begins in a similar way, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 1, for example, Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, that's his authority, that's his office, through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, etc. So my dear friend, this evening, what can we learn from, from Romans, what does it teach us? It will teaches us right from the outset. It's written by a servant of Jesus Christ, an apostle of God, a preacher of the gospel, and a pastor of the people. What about you tonight? Are you like Paul? You might not be able to be some of these things, but if you can be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ... Do you know this Gospel? Have you heard this Gospel? Have you read this Gospel? Have you understood this Gospel? Most of all my difference, have you believed this Gospel? Have you repented of your sins and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and your personal Lord and Saviour? If you have, you're a servant of God and of Jesus Christ. What, a, what an honour to be in that position. What a, what a position, what a spiritual status to be in. And perhaps you're a pastor and a preacher although you may suffer persecution for it again what a privilege it is to be called into these positions and offices. So that's the first thing here in Romans the writer of it, in verses 6 to 8 here, what about its readers? The readers here are ye, he says in verse 6 among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. How does he describe them? Well first of all, you've got to be careful with this term, verses 6 and 7, he describes them as saints. But of course we mustn't understand biblical saints, the New Testament saints, just like the Roman Catholic Church would understand saints. No, no, these were those who were beloved of God, and those who had been therefore called by Him to be saints. They were the objects of God's everlasting love. Shown by his calling them to be saints. The gospel had been preached at Rome. People would have heard the average general call of it with their ears. But my dear friends, some had actually received it into their hearts. And it had turned them from their sins. They turned from all their sins. They believed
1: in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, and as their own personal Lord and Savior. And this was...
0: God's inward effectual calling of them by His Holy Spirit. And it has to be both. The general call of the gospel outward to your ears and to your minds, but the effectual calling of the Holy Spirit to you to repentance and to faith an irresistible call. And every one of them who'd received such a call was a saint. A saint is somebody who's believed in the gospel not somebody who has to be canonized by the Roman Catholic Church. No, it's somebody who's sanctified, separated, set apart by Him for God's service and worship and chosen by Him to lead and to
1: live a holy life.
0: It's somebody who's been justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and knows the peace with God and the peace of God and somebody who God is sanctified. He delivered them from the guilt of sin. And now through the Spirit and through the Word and the Truth, He's delivering them from the power and the pollution of sin. These were saints, verses 6 and 7. They were believers, verse 8. Having been genuinely, and called by God, they received His gift of a saving faith in Jesus Christ. What a wonderful gift that is. Of all the gifts you've ever had in this world my dear friends, there's nothing that's more precious than this. Oh, are so many precious gifts as far as the gospel is concerned. The gift of God, the gift of Jesus Christ, the gift of everlasting life, the gift of grace, the gift of, of, of the hope that God gives to us, the gift of the Spirit into our lives. But there's wonderful gift of a saving faith in Jesus Christ. These people have taken God in His bare word. Their faith was such that wherever Paul went in the world at that time on his missionary journeys, he heard people talking about it. It was to them that he wrote his epistle. They were those for whom he never ceased to pray to God and with whom he already felt a union and a communion. That's who we can have fellowship with, my dear friends, those who believe, who have received like precious faith with us, those who also are born again of God. We can have fellowship with those who are begotten of God as well. Fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Most of these were Gentiles. Most of these were non-Jews. But also there were some Jews amongst them as well. What a, what a remarkable thing. The Gospel brought these that historically were enemies and enmities with one another. It brought them together. And now they were one and having fellowship with one another and loving one another. The gospel, this wonderful gospel, have brought sinners back to God and brought these people that are loggerheads with one another together. The gospel unites, reconciles sinners back to God and reconciles historic enemies with one another. The gospel is the only answer for this world, my no dear friends. And also thirdly here, they were in a sense ordinary regular, normal people. They were in a sense ordinary men and women, boys and girls of the local Christian church of Rome that Paul was writing to. It was an epistle to ordinary people, many of whom were household servants, not to say slaves. Not highbrow scholars, not great academics, not great intellectuals. Don't be... Don't be intimidated by the epistle to the brothers. Remember who it's written to. Go to chapter 16 and see who it writes to, the household of so and so. It means servants and family members and children as well. Normal people like you and me. It's for you as well. You say it's not. We'll work in it. Study it. Read books on it. Pray through these things. Make a bit of effort. Give yourselves to it. And so you'll be given understanding about this glorious epistle of God. And humanly speaking, of the Apostle Paul, it's a wonderful thing. And the Holy Spirit is able to give you, as well as somebody who might naturally be more clever and intelligent, he might give you a great understanding, a clear understanding of these things, and somebody who might have let many letters after their names. And perhaps many things before their name as well. So the gospel of Romans was the gospel that was believed by them. The gospel which the ordinary Christian believers loved and lived by. The gospel which was believed by men and women, boys, because it was saved by God's grace in Rome. But they were people just like you and me. At the end, in chapter 16, verses 3 and 5, he wrote these words Greek Priscilla and Aquila. Don't forget who they were. They were ten acres. Paul's trade. he was a tent-maker too before this. Bring them, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have laid down their own necks for my, for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles, and likewise bring the church that is in their house. So secondly, my dear friends, what we learn from Romans, were well, the readers of it, saints, believers, and in a sense, ordinary people. Of course, there's a sense in which no Christian is ordinary. Every Christian is extraordinary. Every Christian is a trophy of grace. Every Christian is a miracle of grace, of sovereign grace. But also a sense in which we're regular people. So this was written to me. It's for you too. Have you been called to be a saint? Are you a believer? And all make person. And this epistle is also for you. But our third main heading tonight is the extent of Romans, what it touches upon, what its subjects and themes are, what its reach is. And we're looking here at verses 1 to 4 and 15 to 17. What's its main subject and theme? It is the gospel. There's only one gospel. And any gospel not like this gospel is not a, it's another gospel. It's a corrupt gospel. This is the pure gospel, pure as the driven stone. It is the good news. Paul was separated to it and was ready to preach it at Rome also. He was ready to die for it. Indeed, he did die for it. He gave his life for these things. And that martyred in Rome by the sword. He wanted to go there to preach and He's writing to the valley instead because he was not even—it was impossible for him to get there as yet. Therefore, Romans was a declaration of the gospel. I just can consider the following things before we close about it. Think about his ultimate source or origin—not human. It's not of human origin or invention. Ultimately. He says it's the gospel of God. And so therefore its ultimate source, you kind of take it back from where it originally came from, it's divine. How oh, you said it came from the append of the Apostle Paul? Well yes it did, humanly speaking, but God gave it to him. Paul received these things by inspiration. And therefore what we have here is something very precious indeed. Its ultimate source is divine. It's a divine invention and a divine inspiration. And it's gone an afterthought by God but something of which all the Old Testament scriptures had been prophesying. All these things are so precious. God's word is a progressive revelation and he gave, glim- gave glimpses slowly more and more of the gospel in the Old Testament from Genesis 3.15 onwards. Mm. Through the sacrifices, through the prophecies about the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53, and so on and so forth, through the figures, the prefigure Christ in the Old Testament. But here in the New Testament, you have the full revelation of the Gospel in Jesus Christ. There's not one Gospel of the Old Testament, one of the New. The Gospel is the climax and the fulfilment what a long promised through His Old Testament prophets. So don't ignore the Old Testament, my dear friends. Don't neglect reading it at home and also in church as well. The gospel is there. And it's prophesied of, it's shown more and more, more and more light until you have the full blaze of it in, in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the ministry of the apostles. So the ultimate source of these things is God. The absolute center of Romans and of the Gospel is the Lord Jesus Christ. The person of the Son of God. The Gospel is all about one person, who had two natures. He was fully God, fully man. His human ancestry could be traced all the way back to David, all the way back to Abraham, all the way back to Adam, our first parent. He was a David's direct descendant. Only a few people were able to see his true identity during his earthly life in ministry, public ministry, three years, and then only because the Spirit enlightened or illuminated them. His real identity was powerfully declared when he was raised from the dead the third day after his crucifixion. Paul begins with this. We know that uh, about the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, for one great reason, is one great proof, is his resurrection. Been declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of Holiness by the resurrection of the dead. And after the outpouring of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost, the number of people who saw his real and true identity began to greatly increase. But he is the absolute center of the gospel. And if you're a Christian, you want him central in your thinking, as a Christian, you want him central in your heart going to be central in your heart, if your heart is Christocentric, he's going to be at the very centre of your life. You're going to be able to say like the Apostle
1: Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain." and therefore if that is so with you and in your family,
0: it's Christ-centred. Your church is going to be Christ-centred and you're going to have a massive impact and influence upon Timothy. But he has got to be central. Christ has got to have all the grip in our lives, he's got to be put first. We're to seek God and Christ first, and then all these other things will be added to us. Put God first. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He is the center of Romans, the center of the gospel, the center of the whole scripture. It's all about Him. Is redemption promised. The Old Testament, achieved by Him, and then you have the outworking of it throughout the rest of the Bible. Redemption planned, accomplished, and applied. The subject of the Gospel the Gospel is not only a declaration of who Jesus was and is, it's a declaration of what He's done. And the key word of the Gospel was and is friend, what a word is this? And my dear friend, if, you, if God has shown you that you're a fallen guilty sinner deserving to die, deserving of judgment, deserving of eternal ruin and the everlasting righteous indignation of God, this word can be so precious to you. And it is the word righteousness in the gospel it was made crystal clear how men, women, boys and girls could be put right with God. God is holy, God is just, God is pure, God is righteous in an infinite way and eternally. You and I have fallen and sinful and we can only be made right with God by the gospel. It revealed, the gospel revealed these people's, their inherited natural unrighteousness And the Lord Jesus Christ's imputed righteousness when they believed the Gospel. A righteousness that couldn't be deserved, earned or merited. A righteousness that was revealed from faith to faith. The Gospel began and ended with faith. It was all how men, women, boys and girls could get right with God by faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, by grace alone, according to God's Word alone, God's glory alone. And all procured, this righteousness procured and provided by the Lord Jesus Christ through his perfectly obedient life to God's law. And of course, he died to atone for his people's sins, all their sins, all of his people on the cross of Calvary. And those of them who are righteous by faith alone would be saved. The just, Shall live by faith. And my dear friends, I want to just to emphasize what a precious thing this righteousness is. We lost our original righteousness. We inherited the, the sin of our parents and their depravity as well. We can't save ourselves. We can't keep the law. We can't atone for our sins. God has done everything in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Christ's life. Came under the Lord to redeem those under the Lord, came to fulfill righteousness for his people, came to die, a perfect sin, time, and death upon the cross of Calvary, and it's just for us to believe. Only to believe, not by works of righteousness that we have done. He's done it all. We believe that's of course,
1: grace and by his gift,
0: so it's all to God's glory. The gospel glorifies God and humbles finally here, the great strength of the gospel. It lays in the truth that it's the means that God uses to save his people from their sins. He saves all who truly believe, whether Jews or Gentiles, whatever the background, whatever gender, whatever culture, whatever language. And here whether Jews or Gentiles, it is his power to save everyone who believes by the preaching of the gospel it brought men women boys and girls into a right relationship with him not just for time but for all eternity not everybody who hears the gospel who's saved but it's everyone who believes it faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and it applied to the Jew first but it also applied to the Gentiles so my dear friends You have here what this epistle touches, touches upon the gospel, and all these things about the gospel, and especially how we can be saved. A famous verse in Romans uh, 1 and and, uh, the just shall live by faith. You have it so many times in scripture, you have it in Habakkuk, behold his soul which is lifted up, is not upright in it, but the just shall live by his faith. It's here in Romans, it's in Galatians, it's in Galatians, it's in Hebrews as well. Why? It's so important. If you would be right with God, it can only be by believing in his son, Jesus Christ. So Romans teaches us finally about the reach of the epistle. Its ultimate source, its absolute center, its most important subject, and its great strength. Oh, my dear friend, tonight have you received the precious and all-sufficient righteousness of God by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is something which is so dear and precious to us. And the reason why you and I should go away as a cloud-blind cloud and we should go our way rejoicing because of this glorious gospel of the blessed God. The Romans, writer, humanly speaking Paul. recipients, readers, the Romans. What's it all about? It's all about God's good news. And I trust that it's come to you in power like this. You haven't just got a form of godness, you know the
1: power thereof. And the word has come to you.
0: The gospel has come not in word only, but in demonstration of the Spirit with power and with Much assurance. All may they be sung for your own welfare, eternal welfare, and for God's everlasting glory.